0: an interesting thing happened. A man gave his own eulogy at a funeral. While on a tour of the Nixon Library, I couldn't avoid the irony of President Clinton's eulogy of President Nixon. Today is a day for his family, his friends, and his nation to remember President Nixon's life in totality. To them, let us say, may the day of judging President Nixon on anything less then his entire life and career come to a close. In other words, don't let one moment define a person's entire life. Is it fair? I know for assassins and murderers and the infamous criminals we associate them with the worst thing they've done. That's fair. For presidents, well-known scandal overshadows many accomplishments they have achieved. What about someone who didn't physically hurt anyone, didn't take anything, didn't cheat on his wife or lie under oath? What if all he did was say a few names? I'm Sam Logan and you're listening to the podcast The Story Is, the podcast where we talk about the past, the present, and the personal. This episode is entitled, Ilya Kazan, A Life in Total. The following episode is an interesting one. Well, I know, I think it's interesting. That's why I'm doing it. It kind of bounces around, but I hope you'll stay with me. We started out at the Nixon Library, a place I recently visited, as we continue my theme about travel and what good it does for you. And it is that visit to that library, visiting one controversial figure, caused me to think about another controversial figure. Ilya Kazan, the accomplished director of stage and screen, creator of many great films that people appreciate, and I'm one of them. He also had a few controversial moments that overshadow the rest of his career. What Ilya Kazan means to me is that he played a major role in launching the career of one of my acting heroes, James Dean. He cast James Dean in East of Eden, which launched his career. Kazan directed movies that made an impact on me early in life. The classic movie channel on TV was my first viewing of A Streetcar Named Desire. On the Waterfront is a great rainy day memory for me. I remember watching that movie with my mother and being emotionally spellbound to the very end. In those three movies alone... Kazan gives us what it means to feel, live, love, and try to survive in the world that is constantly telling us, no. There's emotion and empathy and struggle in his movies. But when it comes to Kazan, he does not receive empathy. Why is that? Well, here comes the controversy. Those angry with him at the time would say, He named names. Kazan initially refused to provide names to the House on Un-American Activities Committee, but eventually named eight former group theater members who he said had been communists. He later made a movie where an informant is a hero. On the Waterfront. Marlon Brando's character plays Terry, who testifies against the corrupt bosses controlling the shipyards. He's the good guy. But those who were around when Kazan delivered his friends' names as communists saw Brando's character as a stand-in for Kazan. Orson Welles made this connection when asked about Ilya Kazan. In 1982, Orson Welles was asked during this French cinema convention about directors and their takes and... Uh, financial support and why they should be supported and wells replied to the question "Cherie mademoiselle you have chosen the wrong mature scene meaning you have chosen the wrong film director Ilya kazan is a traitor he is a man who sold to mccarthy all his companions at a time when he could continue to work in new york at high salary and having sold all his people to mccarthy He then made a film called On the Waterfront, which was celebrated The Informer. We go from 1982 to the Oscars in 1999. Kazan is being honored for his lifetime of work by the Academy Awards. Arthur Miller did not feel the same as Orson Welles when it came to Kazan. Unlike Kazan, Miller defied the House Committee on Un-American Activities, in 1956 and refused to name those whom he knew to be fellow travelers. He was held in contempt of Congress, fined, and sentenced to jail time. Despite that Miller sided with those who believed Kazan should be honored on Oscar night. My feelings toward that terrible era are unchanged, he wrote in the Guardian, but at the same time history ought not to be rewritten. Ilya Kazan did sufficient extraordinary work in theater and film To merit acknowledgement. The night is described by David Walsh as The decision by the board of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to honor director Ilya Kazan, infamous as an informer in the 1950s, at its annual Oscar Awards ceremony, March 21st, provoked considerable controversy. The board unanimously approved the award, but at least two members, including well known cinematographer, Haskell Wexler, later publicly expressed regret about their votes. Blacklisted writers, directors, and actors voiced their anger at the decision. Hundreds of protesters demonstrated outside the ceremony. Inside the hall, estimates varied widely from one-half to four-fifths as to what percentage of the crowd refused to stand and applaud Kazan. The expression of disapproval was without precedent in Hollywood history. The awards presenters, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro, look uncomfortable. Kazan appeared briefly on stage and disappeared like a thief in the night. Elliot Kazan's actions didn't deaden over time. From the 1950s well on to Oscar night in 1999, emotions remained high. His actions were not forgotten and the response of the general public ended up dividing along political lines. Those on the left were upset with Kazan and those on the right thought what Kazan did was correct fighting against the dreaded communists that were everywhere. The story is a little more complicated than us versus them. Communist Russia was indeed doing terrible things to its own people and espousing a philosophy of taking care of everyone, by everyone. Many who would call themselves communists in America at the time, in the 1950s, were hoping to point out the flaws of capitalism for fair labor laws, and the thought that negative stories about communist Russia were exaggerated. The reality of communist Russia usually wasn't seen until someone actually went to Russia, and saw it for themselves. The label communist meant different things to different people. To Hollywood liberals, it meant further to the left, stronger labor unions. And for those running the House on Un-American Activities Committee, the word communist meant traitor. In reality, Russian spies were an issue, but they weren't under every rock or on every movie set. To me, it's clear what Kazan was doing. He wasn't fighting and uncovering communism. In 1952, as an ex-communist, he came under pressure to testify at the House Un-American Activities Committee. I'm sure he was aware this committee ruined many careers. HUAC, the acronym for the committee, picked Kazan because he was well-known. His testimony would have great sway and merit and attention-grabbing and authority to what the committee was trying to do. Kazan was told that if he did not name names, he would not be allowed to make more films. A major part and the most lucrative part of his career could be over. The movie studios, out of fear of being labeled communists themselves, and the possibility of losing government funding or tax breaks, wouldn't work with him if he didn't cooperate. He could go back to directing theater, but that wasn't guaranteed either. His entire future hung in the balance of this decision, and he named people he knew, some who had already been named as communists. But his testimony confirmed these people were enemies of the United States. He decided to save himself. So in 1999, Kazan gets a controversial Oscar. He is introduced and receives a split reaction from the crowd, many standing and clapping, and some sitting like Steven Spielberg, and some have the piercing eyes of Ed Harris sending a laser beam of disgust at Kazan. Kazan gives a very brief speech, looks over and hugs and thanks Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese for introducing him, both of them who have the vibe of, please stop naming my name, Kazan concludes with, I think I can just slip away. Again, he missed the opportunity to do the right thing. Years ago, in the 1950s, he could have refused to cooperate with the committee, but instead he complied. Again, at the Oscars, he could have possibly apologized, maybe dedicate the Oscar to those who were unfairly blacklisted. He didn't. He could have been a contender, but he's a bum. Let's face it. Moments matter. A life is made up of moments. Who gets to choose which moments matter most? Time itself shows out that no film Kazan made outweighs his choice to cooperate with the House on Un-American Activities. Kazan is defined by that moment. President Nixon is defined by a moment and President Clinton, as well, is defined by a moment because four years after giving Nixon's eulogy, President Clinton was impeached. I haven't been to Clinton's presidential library, but I doubt, on a tour of the museum, that the impeachment is forgotten. Like Clinton, who said of Nixon, oh yes, he knew great controversy amid defeat as well as victory. He made mistakes, and they, like his accomplishments, are part of his life and record. This practice of judging people by their worst moment isn't necessarily fair, but it's almost inevitable. As President Clinton points out, in one's life, the worst moment is inseparable from the best moments. Try it. Try saying, that's not who I am, or I'm not a crook, or I think I can just slip away, or whatever you want. It's unavoidable. We can try to control our legacy the best we can. We can write as many books as you want. Have your gravestone say you were kind. Have your eulogy that you were amazing. But it's our actions, our choices, especially ones that affect other people that most define us. We so rarely get a second chance to make things right. When we get those chances, we should take them. And that's what bothers me about Kazan. I understand he was in a hard situation in the 1950s, and he had to choose between himself and others. He chose himself. But in a much kinder situation, a much friendlier situation, he again made the wrong choice. Kazan had a chance at the Oscars for another moment. He could have tried to give the respect to those he destroyed. It might not have changed the mind of critics. His admission would have been far too little and far too late. But it might have meant something to the families of Clifford Odets, J. Edward Bromberg, Louis Leverett, Morris Karnofsky, Phoebe Brand, Tony Crabber, Ted Wellman, and Paula Miller. They deserved better than to be blacklisted and unable to work in Hollywood. But what I'm asking for from Kazan would never have happened. No, it couldn't have happened because Kazan was convinced he was right. His immediate reaction after testifying in the 1950s and informing on his friends, Kazan took out an ad in the New York Times denouncing communism and urging others to speak out. In 1988, In his memoir entitled, Ilya Kazan, A Life, he said he would do the same thing again, given the same circumstances. By 1999, he says nothing. And then in 2003, Ilya Kazan died, and never apologized for what he did. I think I can just slip away. I think he could have done better. But do our worst moments have to define us? No, they don't. In order to demonstrate this point, I'm going to tell you one more story. It's the story about another actor. This one found himself in prison. After years of second and third chances, battling with drugs, he found himself behind bars. And he was, indeed, at the worst moment of his life there was no hope there was no possibility of from his viewpoint of ever working again and he got a letter from someone until he got a letter from a director that he worked with and in that letter They reminded him that he had all the tools that he needed to survive this moment, to go beyond this moment, and to write his own story. The director was Jodie Foster, and the actor in prison was Robert Downey Jr. Now, Jodie Foster reminded him that he had already played an actor who had gone through this type of struggle, who had had... A banishment, public embarrassment, and had had this terrible moment, and had turned his life around. And that actor, that character that he had played, was the real-life Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin had experienced a, a public airing of his own personal issues, a banishment of sorts, and he came back from that. And Chaplin is remembered for his great talents and not for his worst moments. And Robert Downey Jr. was told by Jodie Foster in her letter that he had the same personality, the same tools that were needed to turn his life around, to make his life more than just this terrible moment. He had the ability to write his own story. I say that because Robert Downey Jr. had the Habit of writing or rewriting scripts that were given to him. Case in point, the movie Chaplin. Now, the director didn't ask him to do this, and when he rewrote it, the director I don't believe used it, but the principle is the same. He could write his own life after the worst moment in his life. He just had to, one, recognize that he, in fact, had messed up, something Ilya Kazan never did. And after recognizing that he messed up, do what he can to turn himself around and not give up, not allow the worst moment to define his life. And now Robert Downey Jr. is not defined by his worst moment of being arrested for drug possession. He is instead recognized as a superhero on screen. He is a father. He is a husband. He is an activist for charity organizations. He is not defined by his worst moment. And neither do we have to be defined by our worst. We aren't perfect. We're going to make mistakes in life. And maybe some of those mistakes are going to be pretty big. And in those times, we're going to feel very uh, discouraged and believe that we can't get back up, that this is it, we have ruined our life. But if we remember that we are the author of our own lives and our own choices, and that if we endeavor to change, really change, or as Robert Downey Jr. said, learn to make new mistakes... We can overcome our worst moments and define our lives for the good things that we've done. My sources for this episode was the website WSWS.org, an article entitled What Were the Real Issues by Elia Kazan, Award Controversy by David Walsh. The American Presidency Project website, presidency.ussb.edu. The Guardian article, Elia Kazan, The Biggest Rat of the Pack by David Thompson. American Masters, npr.org. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you will send all your thoughts and comments to thestoryispodcast at gmail.com. Or you can also talk to me at the Story Is Podcast Facebook page. Until next time. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Logan. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it.